theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. to be in God's house. I stand here honored that you folks would let me come preach to you. I pray for you every day. I just I just don't know a bunch of you that I'm praying for. But it's a good thing to have a growing church. I stood over here tonight and marveled. I can't. I just kept grinning. I, the praise singers are singing, and it, and I'm looking at the crowd responding. My spirit was just beaming on the inside to see the growth, spiritual growth, numerical growth. God's pretty good at being God, ladies and gentlemen. If you have your Bible, I would ask you to turn to the book of Exodus. I give honor to your pastor and the first family. Didn't she? Uh, she's got pipes. That child sang. All these praise singers. It's just been spectacular. My spirit is Holy Ghost happy right now. And I uh, feel like the Lord wants to speak to us a little bit tonight. Would you let God do that? I will give you this much. It's a whole lot colder here than it is in Texas where I come from. Texas, we share zip code with hell most of the time. Here, it's colder than a mother-in-law's heart. It's cold here. It's cold. I don't know why in the world Brother Thompson couldn't pastor in like Hawaii or something like that. God bless you. Exodus chapter Number 33, I flew all the way to Toronto today from Houston, Texas, convinced I pretty much figured out what I was fixing to preach. <laughs> he took me to eat, I reckon, the best tacos on the face of the earth. Then I went back to the room and I thought, I'm going to get a little rest because I left at five this morning, a little before five. And got in there and God said, You ain't got time to sleep. I got something I want to say. So me and Jesus had a little gathering. God began to speak to me about y'all. Exodus chapter number 33, verse number 14 says, And he, God said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And Moses said unto him, 
If your presence doesn't go with me, don't you carry us up hence, for wherein shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I am thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, Okay, Moses, I'll go with you. I'll do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Then Moses changed his petition. Moses said, I need your presence four times in this pulpit tonight before I got here you sang and talked and exhorted about we need his presence Moses changes the deal and says I beseech thee take me beyond your presence God and show me your glory I walk very comfortably into this service tonight knowing that God wants to change our perspective about the glory of God in our midst. I've come tonight to preach to you from this thought, the evidence of His glory. I didn't say the evidence of His presence. The evidence his glory. God bless you. Smile at somebody before you're seated and you can be seated. Thank you. There's an old saying that bears at least some element of truth. They say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I preached 306 times last year. So I obviously was in a lot of places, a lot of nights away from home. And I got a brand new grandbaby. And it's a terrible thing. He, he's, he's beautiful. And, uh, I didn't like his daddy until we had this. He married to my daughter. I didn't like my, his daddy until they got me this baby, and I decided, oh, I, that's all right. I'll, I'll take him. But when I come in the door, they named him Onyx. When I came in the door, when I walk in from preaching anywhere, and I got my suitcase with me, he just old enough to point and, uh, uh, uh. I know what he wants. I set him on my suitcase. I let him hold on to the handle. And then like a fool, I run all over that house with him on my suitcase. My wife wanted stain, uh, stained concrete floors, which I, I don't understand. I said, my God, honey, we're to the age now. We're going to start falling, breaking hips. And she wanted a stained concrete floor. And so... We've turned it into a racetrack. When I come in Monday, he'll probably be there. And when he sees that, 
I may have traveled all day long, but I'm going to run my fat backside until I'm sucking air and he quits enjoying the journey. I know that when I travel and I'm away from my family as much as I am, I become, I know it's hard for some of y'all to believe, but I become clingy to my wife, my children, my grandchildren. I suppose that in those kind of situations, it is true that absence makes the heart grow fonder. But ironically, another reason we know this to be true is because sometimes we see the effect that the opposite has on our life. If absence makes the heart grow fonder, then sometimes abundance makes things seem ordinary, commonplace. Can I give you an example? How many of y'all remember the first car you ever owned? Remember that? 1965. Volkswagen Beetle with a sunroof. I wouldn't even fit in a 1965 Volkswagen Beetle with a sunroof now. When you first got that car, life became a better place. Ooh, the ability to just go out and get in your car and drive somewhere, anywhere. It was so exciting, it was so thrilling, yet for most of us, uh, after years of driving, it becomes commonplace and even boring. And in the words of that great apostle B.B. King, the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone away. It's not like we want to cease driving altogether. It's just that the thrill, it, it, it vanishes when we become a victim of saturated desires. Uh, our initial desire to drive was saturated with such an abundance that now it just doesn't have the allure that it once had in our world. I, I had a grandma that was so old she sneezed dust. She was old. And, and, and my grandma, she told us when uh, she remembered a time when electricity first came to their little holler in Kentucky and holler, holler I don't know what you call it here what is it hollow she was old she said she remembered when they went and got this metal stand that had this little glass ball on top and said every night for weeks there'd be a knock at the door and they'd open up the door and people be standing there they didn't even know who it was and her dad would go over and he'd turn that little switch and it would light the room up and people all and they sit around and stare at it like most of y'all do a cell phone today But I got to be honest with you, I don't remember the last time I had a spiritual experience for flipping a switch on a wall. In fact, if there was an award for flip switchers, my granddaughter would be the grand champion. I, it, it just doesn't, there's no thrill now. 
There's no excitement. It's commonplace. It's become ordinary because you and I flip switches every day. We are literally victims of saturated desire. And I, I got to be totally honest with everybody in the place today. I don't really lose a lot of sleep over the fact that I just don't get a thrill out of driving anymore. I, I, I can't tell you that I'm gravely concerned that my heart doesn't leap within me whenever I turn on a light switch. It's a mindless task that I seldom give a second thought to. You see, when things are given in abundance, it's easy for those things to become mundane and ordinary. It is true in every value system of our world that when there is an overabundance of an item, it causes it to lose its value to common men. It's common. It's ordinary. It's in no danger of extinction. It's just a part of life. And I'll just tell everybody in the building today, there's nothing wrong with losing the thrill of things that once rocked your world until it reaches into your spiritual lives. Uh, not only has time given us things in abundance like electricity and automobiles, but we in God's church have been given an abundance of things from the spirit world. Uh, in God's presence, we have feasted on preaching until the rich broth of God's anointing drips off our chin. In God's presence, we've seen the power of anointing work in the lives of humanity. In God's presence, we've had front row seats to every type of healing and deliverance available. In God's presence, We've been given biblical revelations and personal prophecies of what God wants to do in our midst. In God's presence, we've had Holy Ghost explosions that have left indelible marks on our soul. All of those things are good. And sometimes I am convinced that my great church in Texas is the most blessed of all. But God help us in Texas and God help you here in Toronto if we ever reach the place that our desire for those things ever becomes saturated to the point that it loses its thrill to us. Regardless of how many services I've set in in my 43 years of full-time ministry. I still crave preaching. I still thrill at the anointing. I still yearn to know his will. I still long to know his ways. I still desire Holy Ghost explosions. Let me preach and tell you the very worst thing that could ever happen to any of you in this building is for your hunger for God's presence to become a victim of saturated desire. The things of God ought to shake you to your core. The things of God ought to command our attention.
Clap your hands to the Lord and love him. In fact, I tend to think that in light of the potential of becoming a victim of saturated desire, one of the most dangerous places, Pastor Thompson, in the entire world is in a good church just like this where worship leads us beyond his presence, where prayer presses us beyond just having a good service, where preaching draws us beyond just feeling God and it ushers us into the pure glory of the Almighty. Listen to me very carefully. How many times has the glory of God? I want to preach something today, and this is what God told me to tell you. God said, you tell them. There comes a point. There's nothing wrong with my presence. But God said, you tell them there comes a point that it's got to go beyond his presence and become his glory. There's a difference in his presence and in his glory. How many times has the glory of God settled on us through the gifts of the Spirit, through a dynamic sermon that shook our hearts? How many times has the glory of God showed up in a prayer meeting that became an anointing? How many times has the Holy Ghost showed up in a visitation of supernatural power? I want to preach to this congregation today that there is a high price to pay if we ever look at the glory of God as just a good service or just an atmosphere to worship in or just a chance to run the aisles. If laying in a life-changing glory of God has become just another tank of gas to get you to the next service you have become a victim of saturated desire oh listen to me the glory of God is more than just another tank of gas if the glory shows up it's telling you God's willing to overhaul the engine and repair your spirit There's a transition that takes place. When you entertain his presence, when you entertain his presence, I feel waves of the Holy Ghost up here right now. When you entertain his presence, you reach a certain place that it goes beyond his presence and something happens. His presence will give you a reason to shout, but his glory is there to change something. His presence will come in and let you know that he loves you. Ah, but his glory will reach down and take out that tumor. His presence will come in and let you know that he values you. But his glory is able to come in and open the blind eye. <laughs> I think... God's church at large needs to see the difference more between his presence and his glory. So many people, when they say we need the glory of God, what they're saying is I want his presence. Uh, but I, there comes a time that the glory of God 
shows up. We had had an amazing service one night at home, and we've got a big balcony that goes from one side of our sanctuary to the other. And, and it had been one of those services. I don't know how many people in there God had touched and already filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And while we're there, I, I felt something set down. And there, there was a solemnness that came to that place. It was like we understood the gifts of the Spirit or something is, is getting ready to happen here. And when we did, God said, look in the Spirit. And I thought, God, that's a strange statement. God said, look through holy eyes and tell me what you see. And all of a sudden, I saw a blue cloud begin to float across the sanctuary and it began to spin like a funnel cloud. It came down to a point and the precious lady sitting there had had massive back problems for years. And I watched when that cloud touched her in the top of the head. She exploded out of her seat, instantly healed by the power of God. I saw it begin to move to the other side. There a man that had battled asthma for his entire life. I saw it lean down and touch him. And immediately he jumped up shouting, has never had another asthma attack to this day. People that needed blessed, people that needed touched. Mehishaha. People that needed the presence of God to do something. I seen that cloud go to them and touch them. And, and it was the most amazing thing to me. But then it was like the cloud continually kept stopping. And, and it was like it was waiting for the next direction. I, I, I couldn't figure that out. And all of a sudden I looked up in the balcony in the very far corner. And when I did, I saw an angel standing in the corner of our balcony. Nobody in the balcony that night. I saw an angel standing up there. It had on what must have been a biblical day armor. It was not like the armor that we see in these history books. And, and I noticed he had a sword. And as I sat there, I looked. I thought, now I'm done seeing blue clouds floating around here, healing people. If I tell these people I see an angel, they're going to send me to the nut house. They're going to get rid of me. They're, they're going to fire me and get another man of God in here. So I looked at him, and I'd see that angel take that sword. And it would aim that sword at a different person. All of a sudden, that cloud would shift and come down on that person and it dawned on me that the glory of God had stepped into that place and angels were walking among us and because I didn't want people to think I was smoking crack I started looking around I'm thinking okay I ain't gonna say nothing about it 
I ain't going to say nothing. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just going to sit. And I went over and I sat on the altar. And every now and then I'd kind of glance up and I'd look around. And I mean, for nearly 35, 40 minutes, the Holy Ghost just wiped out that entire congregation. Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to stand. And then all of a sudden, I keep glancing over there just to see if it's still there. Because I didn't want to get up and push the service somewhere else if there was still that there. And all of a sudden, the most, the quietest, the most insignificant young lady in my entire church, little old blonde-headed thing, ditzy as she can be. I mean, she just, she's nuts. And all of a sudden, she gets up, and she's quiet, but she's crazy. She gets up, she walks all the way across to where I am, sitting on the altar, and she looks at me and grins, and I'm thinking, chick, this ain't the time. I can't talk to you. And, and, and she looked, she said, you seem too, don't you? So ignorant me, I said, see who? She said, you know what I'm talking about. She turned, she looked up in the balcony, pointed at me. She said, he's wearing this, he's doing that. And right now, the sword's pointed straight down. And it was exactly what I had been seeing. I've come today to tell you, there's a difference in God's presence and God's glory. God's presence can bless you. God's glory can change you. God's presence can lift you. God's glory can heal you. Moses knew that. There was a day that he was stranded in the wilderness. You talk about a dude in a bad position. He's trying to get a backslidden Israel to hold the hands of an angry God and an angry God to hold the hands of a backslidden Israel. And he's trying to get them together. And finally, after much intercession, God said, I'll go with you. My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. But Moses knew what many of us have forgotten. Moses knew in his heart, it's one thing to have his presence. It is a another thing to have his glory and Moses looked at him and said God I'm thankful for your presence but I tell you what I really need in this place today I need for you to take me beyond your presence and show me thy glory We think glory is just to fill his presence. We think glory is just a manifestation for people that don't know him. We think that glory is just an atmosphere for us to shout in. Believe me when I tell you, there's more to the glory of God than that. God already promised his presence. But Moses said, I want a dimension of glory that'll change me. I want a dimension of glory that will make me what you want me to be. It's important tonight for this church to know the evidence of God's glory is not that little tingle when you shout. It's not that little excitement that wants to dance. It's not that unction to be used of God. All of that can transpire in his presence. But there's another dimension of God. 
Hey. And some of y'all are hungry for that dimension of God tonight. Hey, there's another dimension of God that goes beyond the superficial surface realm we call his presence. There is a place deep in the pure glory of God where it'll take you beyond a tingle. It'll take you beyond a touch. And your life will be forever marked by the evidence of his glory. It's not enough just to come to church and reach the point of weeping and shouting. It's when you push beyond his presence. Get a little deeper into the depths of God's glory that something supernatural begins to happen in the midst of natural mankind. There is a depth of God's glory that will leave the evidence of glory in your life by changing something in you. Are you listening to me? What would happen in this service right now if everybody in this building decided I'm going beyond a good service. I'm going beyond a sermon. I'm going beyond a good song set. What would happen if we begin to move in the glory instead of just fleshly understanding? You want to see the evidence? I'm going to tell you, there's, you can feel his presence and walk out and not be one iota different. You can feel his presence and leave that service the same way you walked in that service. But I tell you, if it is really glory, there's evidence. It's going to change your spirit. It's going to change something in you. Let's talk about the evidence of his glory. God gives us a picture of what the evidence of his glory looks like when he gave Isaiah in chapter 6 a vision. And Isaiah said in chapter 6, start verse number 1, said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train speaking about the glory of God. He said his train filled the temple. Watch this now. Watch, watch, watch. Above it, above it, uh, above it, deeper in that dimension of glory, there stood the seraphims. There were angels there. Now look closely at the picture that Isaiah prophetically paints and notice the effect that true glory had on these angels. The Bible said these seraphims, each one had six wings with twain. They did cover their face with twain. They did cover their feet. And with twain they did fly. Notice with me that when the seraphim were surrounded by the glory of God, there was an evidence that they had been in his glory. Watch it with me now. You're going to see the evidence of his glory is beyond a superficial surface touch of God's presence somewhere deep in the depths of God's glory. There's a manifestation of the true evidence of glory. Stay with me right now. Let me tell you what the evidence of his glory really is. Brother White, we had glory in the house tonight. We shouted and we danced and we ran the aisles. That's not glory. That's his presence. Watch this. 
The first evidence of his glory is seen when the seraphims covered their face. I begin to study. I've been studying the Torah now for six years. I, I love to study. I begin to study this out. They begin to cover their face. Understand, in the Bible days, covering your face was a sign of fear. You want to see the real evidence of his glory? Don't tell me you've been in his glory by how high you shouted. Don't tell me you've been in his glory by how much you talked in tongues. Don't tell me you've been in his glory by how you ran the backs of the pews. You can do all of that with just his presence. Don't tell me the glory was there and how it made you preach. Don't tell me the glory was there and it helped you minister. Don't tell me the glory was there and the gifts of the Spirit showed up. You can do that with His presence. But if you want to see the real evidence of God's presence, tell me that the fear of God came back to His church. Tell me that the fear of God came on you. There is a realm of God's glory so pure that it'll come back to the apostolic movement and it'll restore the fear of God again in our midst. Brother White, I'm just not sure I, I believe that. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. They all began to speak in tongues, poured out into the streets. 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 over the next few days begin to receive the Holy Ghost. But might I remind you, as much as we love Acts 2.38, just four verses later, after the glory of God touched them, the Bible said in verse 43, and fear came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. The glory of God had been there. When you really know what it means to go into the glory of God, you walk out a little more tender. You, 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 you have a tendency to want to hide your face when something's not right. Oh, we want the signs and the wonders. But what about going deep enough into the glory of God that it makes us fear God again? I sat with a young preacher last week, Brother Kill Thompson, and he looked at me. I've got the question given to me a dozen times over the last few years. They said, Brother White, when you were coming up, when you were a young preacher, what's the difference in your generation, the biggest difference in your generation and our generation? I'll be the first one to tell you, I hate compromise, but it's not our standards that have changed so much. It's not our way of worship that's changed so much. But the biggest difference between the old church and the new church is we've lost our fear of God. Had a young man in our service we haven't Revival just booming. And uh, we had this man preaching for us who was a prophet. And in the middle of his preaching, he's just gut preaching. And then all of a sudden, he just stops. And I see him hold his ears. 
Finally, he said, I need the whole church to pray. I hear metal twisting. I hear glass breaking. There's going to be a bad, bad, bad automobile accident. I need everybody in here to touch God right now. So we prayed and we prayed and as in most of our services there were those that wanted to get out early get to the restaurant they prayed a few minutes they left they ended up going and sitting at the table and this young man looked at them and said well I just gotta say it I don't believe in all that nonsense I've been raised in this my whole life I don't believe in that nonsense God's gonna do this and God's gonna do that God's going to give somebody a wreck tomorrow. They need to get a hold of God. That's the dumbest thing. He was so forceful about telling the people how stupid the evangelist was, how much he'd missed it, that literally I had saints get up and tell him, if that's the way you're going to talk about the ministry, we don't want to be around you because we don't want to get in trouble with God. He just laughed up his sleeve, went home, got up the next morning bright and early to go to work in one of the refineries there in Texas. And as he's on his way to work that morning, he pulls up and stops at a stop sign right in front of the refinery. And for some reason, the tanker truck coming behind him didn't stop and ran up on top of that man's car totaled out the car that had to cut him out of the floorboard. And he's the one that was saying, I just don't believe in all that stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the evidence of his glory. When's the last time you moved into a realm of God so deep that the glory of God was so real you were afraid to move? When's the last time the church was ushered into such a place that you were feel fearful to even speak in God's presence? God, I pray extraordinary church has not become a victim of saturated desire. Yes, you've had his presence. Yes, you felt his goodness. Yes, you had good song services, but you've got to chase the glory of God. The Bible speaks of the dedication of the temple and tells us the priests and the saints were just doing their jobs when suddenly the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Glory so strong. Even the pastor was afraid to move. Glory so intense. The people were afraid to look up at it. Glory so real. The congregation fell and hid their faces. Are you listening to me tonight? Take us back where this is real and it makes us tremble. Today is the anniversary of Mother May's passing at our church. Mother May was my prayer warrior. If I needed a prayer pushed through, I'd go to Sister May because I knew Sister May was going to touch God. She's the kind that when I was in an office and didn't have the answer to a question that I was being bombarded with, all of a sudden the phone would ring and I'd pick up the phone and she'd say, Bishop, this is Sister May, crippled, laying in a bed. Her back had 
nearly disintegrated, constant pain. She said, I don't know where you're at or what you're doing, but God said, tell them this, 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 and this. She was a prayer warrior. One night her and a young lady named Patricia in my church, the very first young person that I'd ever won to God when I got there. Tonight, she's a pastor's wife in Oklahoma City. She was in there telling God, I don't have any friends, God. I don't have anybody in the church with me, God. I'm lonely. I just want to know you're helping me. Sister May said, Brother Wad, I set up as though I was going to go over and pray for her in the ladies' prayer room. And all of a sudden, I heard the door creak open. Not one person standing at that door. She said, I heard the footsteps walk across the room to where she was praying. I seen her hair pushed down where a hand laid on her head. And all of a sudden, she broke through. God gave her victory over that. And she never had to worry about it again. You want to know what happened when she walked out of there? When she found out that it was an angel that came in that room and not Sister May, something transpired. She understood the fear of the Lord. This generation needs to feel a glory so strong. But they're afraid to sit casually and unmoved in the presence of God. I'm talking about a glory so strong, the evidence of his glory will be a fear of God. Sinners will tremble. Saints will stand in awe. Fearfulness will shake the hypocrites. Lord, show us your glory. Lift your hands up and ask God to give you a revelation, an evidence of his glory. Pray with me right now. The evidence of glory don't stop there. I've got to hurry. The second evidence of his glory. Bible said with two wings they covered their Throughout the Bible, when you see somebody covering their feet, it's a symbol of humility in their culture. It was their feet that touched the dirt and the impurities of the earth, and out of respect and humility, they'd cover their feet so that you didn't have to see the remnants of the dirt they had walked on. I want you to notice with me the evidence of his glory that was manifested in these seraphims when they moved into that realm of glory. They covered their feet, and that tells me that even angels become cognizant of their need to have rest reverence and humility for the things of God. I wonder when the last time you found a glory that made you stop, empty yourself of all ego, all arrogance. Hey! When's the last time you had an experience with the glory of God that caused you to lay down your pride and your dignity? When Ezekiel saw it, Sister Thompson, he said the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, the Bible said he fell on his face. When Isaiah saw him sitting on his throne, there was no dignity left in him. And Isaiah said, woe is me. 
I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. Daniel saw the glory one day and said, when I saw that kind of glory, there remaineth no more strength in me. John the Revelator saw the glory of God on the Isle of Patmos and said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Peter saw the glory of God and said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Job saw the glory of God and said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of my ear, but now mine eye seeth, and I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Yet when the glory shows up in some of our services, we have people that sit back and twiddle their thumbs arrogantly unmoved and unwilling to respond to anything. How can that be? I don't mind telling you that regardless of your title, regardless of your wealth, regardless of your social standing, regardless of your prestige without God, you're just as bad as the alcoholic, the drug addict, the prostitute, the murderer, and the pervert. You're just one sinner in God's eyes. You better learn, you better learn, you better learn that God's glory is supposed to have evidence. First evidence of his glory was the fear of God. The second evidence of his glory was a reverence for the things of God. I was preaching in Indianapolis, Indiana one night. I'd preached my guts out. It was cold, almost 10 below zero there that night. And I forgot to bring my, my uh, change of clothes so when I got done preaching, the pastor looked at me. I'd already worked the altars. I'd already told him, uh, you know, I prayed with this one. We need to pray. Get me some people. Oh, I'd worked the altars. I'd done everything. And all of a sudden, he come to me. He said, Brother White, why don't you go change clothes? You're sopping wet. You're going to end up sick. Revival had gone on a long time. He said, we don't know when it. You go, go change clothes and come back over, and we'll go get something to eat after I wrap up the service. So I take off, I grab my Bible, I grab one little bit of stuff that I had, and I went down the little hallway that had two doors going out. I went down a little hallway to the second door and was going to run from there to the place they were keeping me just across the parking lot. There was three men standing there. They looked at me. They said, ooh, that was good preaching, Brother White. I said, thank you. And then they said, I wish you were our pastor instead of that mess we got. I said, come on now, guys. I thought they were kidding. I tried to clear the door, and they said, no, seriously. We despise that man. We wish that we could have a pastor like you that would come in here. And, and I said, no, 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 no. Don't you be talking like that, don't you? And they said, well, it don't matter if you like it or not. That's the way we feel. I stepped out the door into the cold. I took probably three, four steps. I may have went 10 feet. All of a sudden, the spirit of prophecy hit me. When the spirit of prophecy hit me, I spun on my heels. I looked at them and said, Thus saith the Lord! Within one week, all of you 
will have to repent for what you've said and what you've done. God's going to judge you. They started laughing. They thought I was a fool. But the next day, one of them pulled into the church parking lot before church to work on his car, came a little bit early, and his hand slipped and went into the fan blade, cut off his hand. Ah, another man the next day has a massive heart attack and dies before the, the third man realized that life was going to get rough on him. He goes for a random doctor's appointment. The doctor said, you need to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. They get him in the hospital and said, you are eat up with cancer from head to toe. You'll never come out of this place. They enjoyed his presence, darling. But if they had been in his glory, they would have respected the man of God. Are you listening? If they'd been in his glory, they'd have respected the word of God. They'd have respected the office that God let that man fill. I'm going to preach to everybody in here. The day they talk about your man of God needs to be the last day you be bothered with them. The enemy of my pastor will never be my friend. The anointing that I have on my life today is because not one time did I ever let somebody try to get between me and my spiritual covering. I tell you, if you want to protect your church, if you want to protect your spirituality, the enemy of your pastor should never be your friend. Now I think you might want to lift your hands up and pray. When's the last time you saw the glory of God so thick that it left a reverence in you? You felt weak in light of his strength, low in light of his majesty, unclean in light of his purity, small in light of his greatness. When's the last time you stepped into a realm of glory so real you bowed your knee without being aggravated. You felt like it was a privilege to lay on the floor and tell God you loved him. You responded without any care of who looked at you or what they thought. You laid down your pride and worshiped God. Are you listening? The evidence of God's glory is the fear of God. And then it's a reverence for the thing. Don't tell me you've been in his glory. If you don't respect a man of God, you may have been in his presence, but you ain't been in his glory. You don't respect God's house. You may have been in his presence, but you've not been in his glory. I need some of you to listen to me right now. The thing that troubles this weary old warrior's heart is even in my church in Texas, we have blowout church all the time. Even there, I've got a certain faction that I have never seen bow their knee. I've never seen them shed a tear. How can that be? They are content with his presence. 
and they don't want to be bothered with his glory. Victims, victims of saturated desire. I hasten to a close tonight, but I have to let you know the evidence of his glory doesn't stop there. With twain, they did cover their face. They understood the fear of God. With twain, they did cover their feet. They understood reverence, but the Bible said with twain. With twain, they did fly. There was something about the glory of God that made them say, I don't want to stay on this level. They began to say, holy. Holy. I'm not looking... I'm not looking for recognition. I'm looking to be holy. I'm not looking for pastor to acknowledge me. I want to be holy. Somebody shout holy. I'm telling you when that dimension of glory comes in, it's going to make you want to disassociate yourself with a carnal realm and climb to a higher plane. Allow me to say it right now. I don't care who it is. It doesn't bother me what church it is. It doesn't bother me what preacher it is. When they start saying it don't matter anymore, I have no desire to be around them. Because I know you can make stupid statements like that when feeling his presence. But you cannot be in the glory of God and say this doesn't matter anymore. There's got to be a renewed hunger for holiness and separation from the world throughout the word of God. God linked his glory with separation. God told them in the book of Exodus, I'll meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle will be sanctified by my glory. Oh, that some of our people understood what Moses understood. It's not enough to have his presence. We need his glory. Glory that moves us, glory that shakes us, glory that changes us to be more like Jesus. Listen, I don't care how much you shout, glory will make you holy. I don't care how good you dance in the spirit, glory will make you crave separation. I don't care how much you talk in tongues, glory will lead you to purity. I don't care how much you weep, glory will make you want to be like Jesus. Stand with me all over the building. I'm not finished, but I'm done. Real glory will always bring a desire to be set apart. 
Musicians, you can come. That's the evidence of his glory. You don't believe me? Ask Moses standing in the glory of God looking at a burning bush. Out of the glory, a voice says, take off your shoes. The place where you're standing is holy ground. When the disciples saw the glory of the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter cried out and called it this holy mount. The glory makes you want to fly higher. When Jacob saw the angels in a vision ascending and descending and the ladder in the glory of God moving up and down, it gave him such a conviction. He said, I'll pay my tithes. I'll live right. I'll dwell within the covenant. When the seraphims saw the glory of God, they began to cry, holy, holy. Holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You want revival, Mississauga? Extraordinary church? You want revival? Holy. Holy, holy, the whole earth is full of glory. Lord, show us your glory. Somebody needs to step out of your pew and run to this altar right now. You need to step into a glory that'll make you fear God. You need to step into a glory that'll make us humble again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.